You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you this morning. It's so good to be worshiping with you. Uh, My name is Gemma, if we haven't met. feel like I need to share something I'm grieving with you today, and that is that I think this is the last day I can wear my favorite overalls. In fact, I think yesterday should have been the last day that I wore these overalls. I've never been a sweatpants gal, but I think I may be heading in that direction. Um, I'm pregnant with twins, for those of you who don't know and are wondering why I'm talking about my weight. But um, this is what I looked like when I was full term with my first daughter, and I'm only just over halfway through. So how far this body can stretch is is yet to be seen, (laughs) we shall see. Um, During the last couple of weeks, we've had Patrick sharing some introductions with us, letting us in a little bit more on who he is, um, his story, his passions, his hopes, what drives him, what motivates him. And this morning, we're starting a new series, which is really about who we are as a church. And although I say it's a new teaching series, it's actually one we've done every year for pretty much as long as I can remember. We call it the three pillars. And we've often intentionally done it in the fall as a way for us just to remember who we are as a church as we launch into what always feels like a brand new year. And it also gives us an opportunity to share more of who we are with people who've just joined our church. And this year in particular, in light of just all the transitions that we've journeyed through, it's really important for us to take time to just remember the values that undergird everything we do as a church body. Now, every church is called to be the body of Christ in their unique context. Every church is called and commissioned by God to share the good news of Jesus and to partner with him in bringing reconciliation and renewal to the world. But every church community also has a unique call to the specific context, the specific time and place in which they minister. And this series is about us remembering the unique call that God has placed upon us as Oaks Church Brooklyn in the middle of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, in the middle of 2021. And in the book of Revelation, which I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about the letter to the Ephesians, there are letters written to um, seven different prominent churches. And all of those letters are unique to the individual communities to which they were written. Each community is praised or commended for particular things. Each community is also warned about particular weaknesses or pitfalls unique to them. 
And each community is given a specific call or encouragement for their context. So what about us? What is God's specific call to Oaks Church Brooklyn? What are the values that he has asked us to uphold? And what are the hurdles or obstacles to that call that he might want to remind us about today? I'm just going to move it. Can I just wiggle this? It's just sort of putting me off a little bit. Sorry, just putting it right there. Didn't want to damage any Oaks Church property. Okay. Um, so a couple of Sundays ago when we officially installed Patrick as our newly pastor, I shared a little bit of history from our church from its origins well before my time um, to my experience within this church community over the last eight years. First as Williamsburg Church, then when we became Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg, and more recently Oaks Church Brooklyn. And that beautiful messy history is the foundation of this church. The foundation has already been laid. Certain pillars have been put in place. These are the things that define us as a community. These are the core values that provide a framework and support for our church. These are the things that should increasingly be true of us. And here's what we call those three pillars. Formative encounter, merciful presence, and pilgrim community. Now, in short, formative encounter is about the ways that we encounter Jesus and are changed and formed by those encounters. Merciful presence is about us living lives of love and justice and mercy and compassion, particularly to those on the margins. And pilgrim community is about us living the teaching of Jesus together in Brooklyn. And over these next three weeks, we're going to take a Sunday to focus on each pillar in turn and to unpack what we mean by that language, to ground it in scripture and story. And truthfully, you know, it's less important for me that you can recite them or perfectly define them because what is so much more important is that we as a church are simply living them. So that's really going to be our focus as we go through these next three Sundays. And if you call this church your home, I strongly encourage you to prioritize being here or watching at home over these next few weeks. And if you're brand new, you've come at a great time because you get to discover who we are and what it might look like for you to join this beautiful story. Um, I want to show you a picture. This, um, this is a former temple in, in the center of Athens, Greece. It was built in the 6th century BC. And as you can see from this image, despite the fact that the temple was destroyed and fell into ruin, 16 of the former 104 columns or pillars stand firm to this day. And very often, when significant damage is done to a building, the only things that remain are strong columns or pillars, the strengthening posts and framework, while everything else falls to rubble. And as a church, you know, we've gone through a lot of transition in our history and a significant amount of transition in the last year or two as a result of the pandemic and also Tyler leaving. And for some of us who have been around for a long time, it's, it's really easy to look around and see what's missing, what's been lost, what of the former glory that we feel has, has fallen about us in ruin or rubble. But it's also really important for us to look and see what remains. What are the values that COVID can't take, that leadership transitions can't shake? What are the pillars that have not been destroyed and continue to stand firm as a faithful testament to the steadfast work that God has done and is doing amongst us? And today I want to talk about one of those pillars, and it is pilgrim community. 
Now, the word community is probably a given for most of us. Very simply, a community is a group of people who are brought together around a common set of beliefs or values. But what about this word pilgrim? What do I mean by that? Why is that in there? Well, the word pilgrimage refers to a journey, and particularly a journey towards something deemed to be sacred. So a pilgrim is therefore someone who journeys to this unknown or sacred place, usually in search of meaning or a personal transformation. And there are lots of famous pilgrimages around the world. Probably the one most familiar to me is the Camino de Santiago in Spain, simply because lots of people I know have done that pilgrimage, and I'd love to do it one day myself. And many people go on that pilgrimage as a means of spiritual retreat or seeking out a fresh sense of discovery about themselves and God and others. And practically, it involves walking for hours a day, mostly in silence, maybe sometimes accompanied by someone else, but it's essentially stripping back all of the frenetic noise of modern life, intentionally distancing oneself from all the ways in which we've been conformed to the patterns of this world and getting reacquainted with one's soul. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was an American essayist in the 1800s, said this, few people know how to take a walk. The qualifications are endurance, plain clothes, old shoes, an eye for nature, good humor, vast curiosity, good speech, good silence, and nothing too much. Prior to the establishment of God's covenant with the people of Israel, we read of individuals like Noah or Enoch walking with God as a way of describing that they were people who lived in faithfulness to God. They lived lives that were pleasing to him. And their lives were pleasing to God because that was God's desire. He desired to walk with his people in an intimate relationship of love and communion and friendship. And when God called Abraham, who later became known as Abraham, to become the father of the nation of Israel, he essentially invited him to go for a walk. In Genesis 12, we read that God asks Abraham to go on a pilgrimage to leave his country, his people, his father's household, and walk to a land that God would show him. And through his obedience, he would be made into a great nation. All of the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him, all because he said yes to going for a walk. He said yes to the unknown, yes to pilgrimage, yes to a journey of walking faithfully with God in obedience to him. And the language of walking with God is used extensively throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, and it's used in a metaphorical sense. The word to walk in Hebrew can actually be translated as to live. So it refers to a certain course of life of conducting oneself in a particular way. To walk before God or to walk with God in a biblical sense is intrinsically linked to our behavior, how we live, our choices, how we conduct ourselves. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, he simply said, come, follow me. They were invited to live in such close association with their rabbi to literally soak up everything about his life that they would become like him and live the way that he lived. That's what walking with Jesus meant. That was and is the life of discipleship. Hearing, observing, imitating the life of Jesus, becoming like him in thought and action. And as followers of Jesus, we are on that same lifelong pilgrimage towards Christ-likeness, what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction. Jesus himself modeled the way of pilgrimage. From the moment he began his earthly ministry, he was essentially on a pilgrimage towards the cross. 
Speaking about it prophetically in Isaiah 50, verse 7, we read, I have set my face like flint. Luke's gospel describes it like this. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, in some ways, it would seem that the journey of a pilgrim is a very solitary one. And there is a sense in which our journey with Jesus is one that we do individually. No one, else, no one else can know Jesus for me, right? I can't live, you know, vicariously through my spouse or my parents or my community group when it comes to knowing Jesus. I have to know Jesus for myself. The daily learning to be with him and live like him is something that is a very, very personal journey. However, if you look at scripture, you will see time and time again that when God calls someone on a journey with him, they're also given companions. Abraham had Lot. Moses had Aaron, Naomi had Ruth, David had Jonathan, Paul had Silas and Barnabas, Jesus had his 12 disciples. The 12 disciples were given to each other and those were the disciples through whom the church was birthed. And Jesus didn't call his 12 disciples on private isolated journeys. It wasn't a call to be 12 individual lone rangers. God has always been redeeming the world through community, through family. Jesus told his disciples that through their love for one another, the world would know that they were his disciples. Loving our neighbor, loving God are inseparable. To love one another is to love God. To love God is expressed in loving one another. So by putting these two words together, pilgrim community, we're really saying we want to journey together in living the way of Jesus. And we recognize that we can't and shouldn't try to do that on our own. We need each other. That's why God has placed us in a family known as the church. Spiritual friendships and companions on the journey are absolutely essential. And when I think of the spiritual highs and spiritual lows in my life and all the shades of ordinary and different in between, I can't imagine any of it without the companions that God gave me in various seasons of my journey. Even when I think of incredible solitary journeys, like going off to Calcutta by myself on mission to follow Jesus. I can't imagine that without the companions that Jesus gifted me with along the way, sometimes just for a few hours, sometimes just for a few days, the majority of whom I haven't seen since. But the story of their spiritual journey is intrinsically linked to mine. And when I think of my lowest, darkest moments, when my inclination was to completely withdraw from community and isolate myself in my pain and suffering, I would not be who I am today without the handful of loving, safe people who just held my story while God just knit me back together. Now, don't get me wrong, there have been many times when I've thought I would be a much better Christian if I hadn't, didn't have to deal with anyone else, if I didn't have to interact with other people, if I didn't have to encounter their mess and they didn't have to encounter mine. But God, in his kindness and infinite wisdom, knew that we could only become formed in Christ-likeness through our interactions with one another. My impatience with you exposes my need for forgiveness and grace. Your anger or judgment of me reminds you of your need for grace. Your love and kindness towards me reminds me of my value and worth in Christ. And my love for you does the same. Our spiritual formation is rooted in our relationship with Jesus. But it's also rooted in our relationship with one another. The Trinity is a communion of grace, love, and communion, and we as a church are invited to reflect the communion of the Trinity in our relationships with one another. Think for a moment about the company you keep. 
are those people calling you to live more fully into who Christ's calling you to be? Are they pointing you towards Jesus and reminding you of your identity in him? Who are the people who celebrate your successes with you and grieve your losses with you? Is your life with Jesus something that you regularly share with others or something that feels much more private and solitary? We need one another. Jesus had three particularly intimate friends from among the 12, Peter, James, and John. These were friends that were with him at his glorious mountaintop moments like the transfiguration. And the same friends who were with him at his most broken in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if Jesus postured himself in such a way to depend on the presence of others, how much more should we? And I know we live in such a time of individualism. We wear self-sufficiency like some sort of badge of honor. Not needing people, not needing help is seen to be a sign of strength. Independence rather than interdependence is what we value and strive for. But is that the way of Jesus? Time and time again, when Jesus was reflecting on the culture at large, Jesus would say to his disciples, not so with you. Love one another, wash each other's feet, be a servant to one another, before one another, need one another. And in doing so, you are living the way that I have modeled for you, the countercultural way of pilgrim community. So we want to journey together in discovering more who Jesus is and more of who we are by ordering our days and our lives around a common set of values, but not necessarily the values that the world holds dear, but the values of heaven. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Last week, Patrick talked about the nature of home that we as followers of Jesus are citizens of heaven. And Hebrews 11 refers to the people of God as pilgrims on earth, or some translations say foreigners or strangers on earth. This world is not our home, but we are on a journey towards our true home. And we want to be a people who live together in Brooklyn by the values of our heavenly home. And we believe that when we are shaped, our relationships are shaped first and foremost by that reality, then our lives will speak a better word to our city. So what does this actually look like? Well, let's take a look again at our teaching text that Justin so beautifully read for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Historical record shows that it was not the content of teaching or the extent or excellence of the church events and programming that overturned the Roman Empire from within. The irresistible nature of the early church was the quality of the believer's shared life. They were a pilgrim community. The early church shared values that the world hadn't seen before. People of diverse culture and age and race coming together, breaking bread together with gratitude, speaking encouragement one another, being brothers and sisters. They would bear each other's burdens. They would freely share resources and privilege. Essentially, this was a community carrying values from another world. 
Just think for a moment of any ways in which you've tasted this kind of community, the kind that we read in Acts 2, when pilgrim community is truly at its most beautiful and best. Maybe in moments of worship or prayer with a group of other believers. Maybe in sharing a meal and really honest conversation. Maybe in the daily joys and struggles of sharing life together. Maybe in ways that others have given to you sacrificially of their money, their time, their resources. I have such fond and vivid memories of our community looking just like this over the years. I shared a couple of weeks ago about how my introduction to this church came in the form of people who we'd never met showing up at our new apartment, carrying up boxes from our moving van up a few flights of stairs um, just because they'd heard that we needed some help. I remember the time that we needed a huge, and I say huge, not lightly, a huge amount of money for medical intervention in order to have a baby. And I will never forget the utter delight and surprise to find that in one weekend, we had all the money we needed just because of the generosity of the people of God. I have so many memories of the weddings and baby showers and birthdays that we've thrown for those who couldn't buy their own resources to it themselves, of, of rallying around families in the aftermath of loss, bringing meals, paying for funeral expenses. Many of you won't remember um, Junior. He actually died at the beginning of the pandemic, but he was a man who'd lived his whole life in this neighborhood. He lived right around the corner on Graham Avenue, and he was in his 80s. His wife had died before I even met him, and they'd never had any children. And he used to sit right up here at the front in his own little special chair with a cushion on it, because you know when you're 80, that should just be a prerequisite for coming to church, I think, just needing, I mean, I need a cushion. Um, but every year, we would make sure, whether it was in this building or in his home or later in the nursing home, that we would simply celebrate his birthday. I think of all the Brooklyn feasts in this space and the countless meals we've shared. I think of our Deacons Fund, our Crisis Care Fund during the pandemic, when so many of you gave sacrificially so that other people's rent could be covered, medical expenses could be paid, groceries could be provided. There are so many stories, more than I can count, of the ways in which this body of Christ has looked similar to the one that we just read about on the pages of Scripture. And God's call to us is still the same. Be pilgrim community. Love one another well. Be for each other's good and flourishing. Share your lives and resources. Put yourself on the line for one another. Confess to one another. Forgive one another. Show the world what the love of God really looks like. And in these last 18 months, it's been really difficult to feel connected to one another in the ways that we probably once completely took for granted. And perhaps for some of you, these stories just feel like distant memories, but how can we recover something of the beauty of this invitation in these days? And this isn't about me waiting for someone else to take the initiative. I have agency, we all do. What would it look like this week to lean into community in a fresh way? And it would be entirely remiss of me if I didn't point out that the early church, like us, was a total mess. I mean, it's really easy to romanticize what the early church was like, but if you dig just a little deeper into the pages of the New Testament, you will find all sorts of conflict and segregation. Members of the church were involved in all sorts of sinful ways, from drunkenness, a communion, and sexual misconduct, to hoarding resources and ignoring the poor. 
In fact, Eugene Peterson said, there are no successful churches in scripture. Let me just give you some examples. Acts 6.1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 1 Corinthians 1.10, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. 1 Corinthians 5.1, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. James 3.16, and where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And in case we go thinking that only like new or immature believers were engaged in conflict, even Peter and Paul disagreed. Um, Galatians 2.11, when Cephas... Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And we read in Acts 15 that Paul, who had previously had a very close companion in ministry called Barnabas, had such a dark, sharp disagreement that they parted company. And to my knowledge, I don't know that that was ever properly resolved or reconciled. The early church was a beautiful mess. There was love and sharing and prayer and kindness, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there was also envy and quarreling and relational dysfunction and all kinds of sinful behavior. When we romanticize the past, the church we want becomes the enemy of the church we actually have. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, which explores having a shared life in community, and in it he writes this. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. In contrast, the person who loves community creates community. And friends, we are called to love community. It has to start there. And if you're not there, I would urge you to seek God in prayer and ask him to give you genuine affection for this community. Um, after Tyler had told me the news that he was leaving, you know, and an atomic bomb dropped in my life. Um, <laughs> I hope you're listening to that one, Mr. Staten. Um, we went camping as a family. It was a very Irish camping trip. It rained the entire time. So we, as great parents, put on a movie for our children to watch on the iPad inside our van. And John and I sat outside in the rain. And I just really needed to meet with God and hear what he had to say to me in scripture. And God just really drew my attention to Psalm 16. Or should I say Psalm 16? I keep... <laughs> I didn't realize that was a thing. I'm going to keep saying Sam. <laughs> um, but God spoke to me a lot through Psalm 16, but particularly there was this one verse, and it said, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. And from that moment, I just prayed, Lord, whatever happens, let this community be my delight. I don't know how you feel about our community right now. I don't know what your life in this pilgrim community looks like. Are you willing to consume but not invest? Are you willing to show up in other people's mess but unwilling to invite others into yours? 
Is there any pain or bitterness or resentment or judgment that is preventing you from entering more fully into the life of this community? And if so, what is your plan for dealing with that? Is your romanticized ideal of community actually getting in the way of you loving the community you have? God has always been redeeming the world through community, through family, family that is messy and incomplete. And we are invited to love one another, not for who we want each other to be, but for who we actually are. I said a few weeks ago that I believe God is inviting us to remember that the church is the body of Christ, his glorious bride. And every church will at some point disappoint us, including this one. There's no perfect church because there are no perfect people but loving the church will always be part of the call of God to each of us. And this is challenging, because we don't get to pick the guest list. And if you're new around here, you know, we really hope you will find a sense of family here, but it won't be polished and perfect. It will be messy and broken and pretty rough around the edges. We must learn to love the family of God in which we've been placed. You've probably heard many times the old saying, the family that prays together stays together. And cheesy as it may sound, I do believe there is a fresh call for us to learn in a deeper way to be a family who prays for one another and champions one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother or sister for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. So pilgrim community is family, a family who doesn't romanticize the notion of family, but learns to love with Christ-like love the broken, messy, and dysfunctional family of Jesus that we have been given. A family who orders their lives around shared values and practices, builds each other up, prays for each other, holds each other accountable, are each other's priests to one another, hear and receive confession, supporting one another on the journey towards our true home. And I wanna share very practically what this is gonna look like this fall. Um, if you've been around our church for a while, you'll know that one of the primary ways that we live into this value of pilgrim community is through participation in community groups. And historically, these are, have been neighborhood-based groups of around 12 people, meeting together in homes, sharing a meal together, praying with one another, and engaging in scripture, conversation, and spiritual practices that help us become more like Jesus. I really miss those sharing meals in homes, I gotta say. I hope that comes back very soon. And during the pandemic, we've sadly been really restricted in being able to meet in person, particularly in homes, and we've often met on Zoom, which hasn't always been easy. Um, let's just leave it at that. Um, we've also had so many people leave the city. Many of our community groups have shrunk in size or are currently without a leader. And then we also have so many new people who have joined us and really wanna jump in and be involved in the life of our community. So for this season, we are inviting all of our community groups to participate in the Good Way course together. The Good Way is a course that has been created and curated in-house. We ran it for the first time last spring with really positive feedback. It's a 10-week course exploring eight shared practices that we as a pilgrim community want to order our lives around. Practices like prayer and scripture, Sabbath, hospitality, generosity, pursuing justice and peace. 
And we really believe that this course is going to become central to our discipleship and leadership at Oaks. And we want as many people as possible to participate so that we can grow together in being a community who truly live the teaching of Jesus and help and support each other to do the same thing. So basically, we're going to host the course um, in the church space each week, and essentially multiple community groups will be together in the space. People will sign up for either a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, depending on when their group usually meets. Each session will have some teaching, some space for personal reflection, and then a time of sharing and processing, which will be done within the community group. So we're starting Tuesday, October 5th and Thursday, October 7th at 7.30 p.m. So if you're interested in being part of a community group this fall, we would love you to sign up today. Um, If you've been a part of community group in the past, you should have already received an email from me with the link to sign up. And we're asking everybody to sign up individually just so that we can simply get a clearer sense of like who's here, who still wants to be involved, who still calls this church their home. And if you're brand new to community groups, all you need to do is sign up. Let me know your preference for Tuesday or Thursday nights and I will match you either with others who are new to our church or place you in an existing group where there is space. Now, obviously, you know, the church space does have a maximum capacity, um, and we will do whatever we can to accommodate everyone who wants to participate in this, but I do want to urge you to sign up as soon as possible if that's something that you're interested in, and please just sign up if you know, like, I'm actually going to occupy one of those seats. Um, So the sign-up is now on the top banner. It's on the homepage of the website. It's also on the community group page, along with some frequently asked questions. But feel free to reach out to me directly if you have anything, a question that hasn't been answered on there, um, gemma at oaksbk.church. But I'm really excited for more and more of us to be on this journey together. And to close, I... I just want to say that I think this next season in the life of our church is a season of rebuilding. Um, It's a season of rebuilding around the pillars that already exist and allowing just the overflow of that to spill out onto the streets of Brooklyn. And I can't think of a better way for us to really kind of become galvanized around these three pillars than in journeying together with the practices of Jesus and the early church like we're going to do through the good way. Isaiah um, 61 is the chapter from which our church name evolved. It's also the chapter that Jesus famously quoted um, in the temple when he was announcing his messiahship. Um, You should be able to see the verses there. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And it goes on to describe what the announcement of that good news should look like and feel like to those who hear it. Uh, And it explains that the people who bring this news will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I think very often when we're quoting this, especially in light of the name of our church, we often stop there. But I actually love what comes next. And I think it's really important for us in living out this unique call to be oaks of righteousness. And it says this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And recently, as I've reflected on on this season in the life of our church and these verses, I've been thinking about the story of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament that follows the story of Ezra and chronicles the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah returns to the city of Jerusalem to examine the damage that's been done and mourns the loss of his former glorious city. But then he begins to rally the people to rebuild. He says, 
come, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the people say, okay, let's start rebuilding. And they begin the good work together. And in rebuilding the walls themselves, Nehemiah also discovers that it's more than just the physical city that needs to be rebuilt. The people themselves need to be rebuilt and restored. There is a need for spiritual renewal in every sense. And for us, we need to begin the work of rebuilding, but not just in terms of, of physical structures and events and programs. There is a deep need for the spiritual restoration and renewal of our people. Um, Justin, would you mind passing me that bottle of water? Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm just feeling really thirsty. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Give me one second. <laughs> A lot of words, guys. Um, recently, I watched this documentary called The Work. Anybody seen it? I, I highly recommend it. It's very powerful and compelling, but it's basically... Um, about this um, four-day intensive group therapy session that takes place in Folsom Prison amongst some of the prisoners and also some um, men from outside who volunteer uh, for the program. And it's all about moving towards transformation and healing. Um, and what is really compelling about it is just how embodied this community was, how involved they were in one another's healing journey. And it just felt like such a stark contrast from the church in these current days. But I have been wondering, what are the ways in which we can come together and journey with each other in our journey towards healing, our journey towards Christlikeness? And many of you, maybe some listening or watching, have been feeling disconnected, like I said earlier. And this is not lost on me. And I am really sorry that there are people here feeling that way. Um, and I know for some, it's the frustration of not being able to come in person, the frustration of having to pre-register, um, you know, the fact that you have to wear a mask or that there's a max capacity. And you're not alone in wishing we didn't have all of these restrictions. We all wish we could go back to normal a lot faster than we actually are. But this could still go on for quite some time. And if your stance is just to kind of wait it out until we go back to business as usual, you might be feeling disconnected for a lot longer than you want to be. We as a church community are gonna try and provide as many opportunities as we possibly can for us to be family together, but also just remember that in the vast majority of the stories of Pilgrim Community I shared earlier, you know, they weren't, you know, it wasn't organized church events and programming that led to those stories. It was simply individuals from within this community, out of love for this community, creating opportunities for community and family. And we all have agency in that. And I don't think that those should be initiated out of frustration, like initiated out of sort of frustration or bitterness or resentment or even obligation or duty. But because we've sat in God's presence and asked him to fill us afresh with love for this community as it currently is, and then for the overflow of that to be responding to whatever invitations God might give us in creating a sense of family and connection for others. It's right to grieve the loss of something you've loved and lost. It's right and good to examine the reality of the damage, just like Nehemiah did. But I, for one, wouldn't want to stay in that place and definitely mourning what used to exist. I want to put my hand to the good work of rebuilding. And I, I want to know that every brick I laid, I was crying, God, come and do it again. 
as you've been faithful in the past, do it again. Do something beautiful and new and glorious. And I want to rally others to that good work too. And the beauty is that we're not starting from scratch. Three pillars remain standing. And these will provide the structure we need for the work of rebuilding, formative encounter, merciful presence, and pilgrim community. These will guide us in becoming the people who God is calling us to be in this new season in the life of our church. And they will not only lead to the rebuilding and spiritual renewal of all of us within these walls, but also to put our hands to the good work of rebuilding the ruined city that exists all around us and living to see its flourishing. Why don't we, uh, why don't we stand together? I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. just I want to encourage you just to be quiet. It might be helpful to close your eyes, to stretch your hands out in a way that just sort of shows with your body that you're open and receiving, open to receiving what God has for you. I've said a lot of things today and I, I don't know what in particular is, has or will land with you, but I do know that God wants to meet with each of us today. And he wants us to encounter him today and to be changed and formed because of that encounter. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We know that you're here, but we just invite you more and more. Would you make us aware of your presence? Would you come and speak to us? Lord, I pray that whatever whatever has been said that you um, want to speak individually to each of us, that that would just kind of rise to the surface even in these moments. Lord, that you would speak to us about the ways that you're calling us to be in community. second as part of our worship and response I'm going to invite us to come up and, and take communion and as I've been thinking about this week I've been reflecting on the fact that you know on the night of the last supper when, when Jesus gave his disciples this meal of bread and wine to, to take in remembrance of his sacrifice he also got up from the table and washed his disciples feet and I, I think that if I had been there, if I had been one of those disciples in that room, the partaking of communion for me would always be infused with that moment of Jesus washing my feet and telling me to do it for others. Both of those practices, the washing of the feet, taking of the bread, and the wine are calls to surrender our lives, to let God take them and break them 
and pour them out in love for others. And so today as we come to the table, let's come not only celebrating our individual journey of pilgrimage with Jesus and all that Jesus has won for us through the cross, but also celebrating and marking the call to journey in community. And before we come, as we always do, we're just going to take a moment to just be quiet and examine our hearts before God. And then we're going to speak out a corporate confession together. So I just invite you to take that moment for self-examination. We should have some words of corporate confession that we can see together on the screen. Let's say these words together. Father, we confess that we are broken and desperately in need of your grace. We humble ourselves before you and name the things that we have done or left undone that have not reflected your goodness or our trust in you. Forgive us for all the ways that we have fallen short and lead us into greater healing and wholeness through your blood. Amen. And I just receive this assurance. Because of God's unfailing love and kindness, we are made new through Christ. When we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit as we trust in him and walk according to his ways. Praise be to the God of our salvation who never stops pursuing us with his mercy and love. The bread reminds us of the body of Jesus broken for us and the cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as we taste it today, let our prayer be, Lord, as you were broken and poured out for me and for the world, may my life be the same. Take my life, break it, and pour it out for others. And let me experience a sense of awe and wonder, not just in what you're doing in me, but what you will do amongst us as a pilgrim community too. So I'm going to invite you to come up in just a second. If you feel comfortable, um, one, the, the little boxes are at the side here. If you feel comfortable, once you go back to your seat, you're welcome just to put down your mask, take communion, and put your mask back up again. If you don't feel comfortable with that, you're welcome just to wait until you get outside at the end. You'll also notice that there's some rocks uh, by the communion tables here. Um, Last month, we had a prayer service where people wrote down some of their, their burdens on rocks, and we invited people to take these and to be intentionally praying for brothers and sisters in our community who are, are bearing burdens, because part of the call to be Pilgrim community is sharing in one another's burdens. And if you feel um, prompted to do so as you're getting your communion, I would encourage you to take one of these rocks and to pray for whoever wrote that on the rock. And if you've come in today and you, st you do feel burdened by a particular thing, there are some other rocks, there's not many, but there are some rocks and sharpies over at the rug. And if you wanna just write down whatever your burden is, you can come leave it right here and someone else from our community can pick it up and pray for you. Our prayer team, if you're here, I would also wanna invite you to come forward 
so that you can receive anyone who might want prayer today. The prayer rugs are open if you want to come and kneel. But just use this time to pray for someone else in the space. Use it as a time to reach out and encourage someone. If you come to the altar today and you remember that you hold something against another brother and sister, use this moment to make it right. But let's just take this time to worship and respond. The gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen.